Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Milwaukee Brewers 11. The Cleveland Indians won. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And what an awful, terrible, just brutal baseball weekend in Cleveland. Frankly, it was a brutal sports weekend in all of Northeast Ohio. The Ohio State game was painful. The Browns game was painful. The Indians get swept by the Brewers. There was nothing, unless your local high school football team won on Friday night, there was nothing to cheer for uh, this weekend in Cleveland sports. And uh, man, the Indians... The Indians were probably the worst of it. Uh, They just got absolutely smoked by the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Not only were they no hit on Saturday, but starting pitcher local Eric Lauer uh, took a no-hitter into the sixth inning in this game. So uh, Milwaukee no-hits us for like, if you include the ninth inning on Friday night, like 15 innings in a row. A Milwaukee Brewers pitching was no hitting the Cleveland Indians. So we finally get a hit in the sixth inning. So luckily, we do not become the first team. I believe the first team. I don't know. I didn't see any Sarah Lang tweets yesterday. So I'm assuming the first team to be no hit on back-to-back days. That would be uh, that would be that would be rock bottom. That would absolutely be rock bottom. So uh, yeah, we'll get into the storylines of this game, but then we're not going to waste too much time on this Brewers series because we got we got our butts kicked. And so we're going to do another prospect profile. This time we're going to talk about the Indians' number two prospect, according to MLB.com, George Valera. And we're going to take a look at who he is, what he brings to the table, and uh, yeah, we're going to learn a little bit about him so that when he starts to come up in conversation, we can be informed, we can talk about him, we can we can have a little background on who he is. So uh, we did Nolan Jones the other day, the number three prospect, and now we're going with number two, George Valera. And we're going to try to hit as many of these guys as we can, and then really in the top 30, so that we know who they are, so we can be informed baseball fans. So we'll talk about the game first, and then we'll talk about George Valera. So first off, I just got to say the Milwaukee Brewers are an incredible road team this season. Their splits, home versus road, they're 40 and 31 at home. Very respectable 563 win percentage at home. On the road, they're 49 and 24. They have a 671 win percentage on the road. They are absolutely dominating. Even their splits show it. They're a 225 team hitting at home. They're a 248 team hitting on the road. Their OPS at home, 701, their OPS on the road, 744, you know, boasted by a uh, slugging percentage that's over 400 on the road. Uh, They have hit 82 home runs at home, 94 home runs on the road. By the way, only two more games played to accomplish these numbers. They've scored 307 runs at home. They've scored 366 runs on the road. So yeah, they really are. Uh, a dominant road team this year, and that's really helping them out. So let's get into the storylines of this game. What exactly happened? Well, Aaron Savali had arguably his worst game of the season. Arguably his worst. He Even in the game he got injured in, 
He lasted longer. He went four and two-thirds. He only lasts three innings in this one. Gives up seven runs, by far the most runs he has given up the entire season. Three home runs, ties with the uh, outing in Baltimore at the beginning of June for the most home runs he'd given up uh, in a game this season. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty rough one for Aaron Savali. And man, they were teeing off on him from the first batter. Colton Wong takes him deep. The Indians also were hurt by a little bit of left side defense. Uh, Ahmed Rosario had up, you know, trying to do his best Derek Jeter impression, trying to get a double play at second base going, throws it wide into right field. It allows a run to come in to score. And uh, later in the game, Jose Ramirez would have a situation where he couldn't get the ball out of his glove. And he was trying to throw it a second, and they couldn't make the out at second because of, it took him so long to get the ball, literally get the ball out of his glove. And that little run come in to score. It was just a bad day all around. Uh, Indians hitters were striking out like crazy. An insane amount of strikeouts. So... Uh, where do we want to start? How good the Brewers' offense was or how bad uh, the Indians' offense was? I mean, the Brewers' offense, you've got multiple guys here with multi-hit days. Wong had three hits, two home runs, two RBIs and two runs scored, both solo home runs. Uh, who else had multi-hit days? Avisil Garcia had a multi-hit day with two home runs, three RBIs. J- Jace Peterson had a multi-hit day. Luis Urias had a multi-hit day, and Manny Pena hitting in the eighth spot, three for five on the day. He had a big home run. He had three RBIs on the day. So yeah, there were a lot of guys on this Brewers team that were just absolutely teeing off uh, on Indians pitching, and it was mostly Savali. I mean, Savali gives up seven hits and seven runs and only three innings pitched. Francisco Perez would come in relief and actually do okay in relief, get his first strikeout. Um, Alex Young would come in. He would do all right in relief. He would give up two hits and a run, but he'd get two strikeouts. The home runs would come back against Brian Shaw. Wickren would go in okay inning. Brian Shaw would get absolutely demolished in the eighth inning of this game. Gives up two more home runs in the eighth inning of this game. Gives up three runs in the eighth inning. Well, I mean, the game was already out of reach, but uh, Brian Shaw not doing himself any favors there. Where were the Indians pitchers putting it that these guys were hitting such a monster home runs? So if we go over to the illustrator here and we look at the home runs hit on this day, uh, Savali got hit in the first inning. Uh, Colton Wong got him with a splitter that was just floating to the left edge of the plate. It was a splitter that was up, probably was a ball that was supposed to be located down, and he ends up hitting this 102.1 miles per hour to the seats in right field. Uh, So that was the leadoff home run from Colton Wong. The next one in the third inning um, would come from, who hit theirs first? Avisil Garcia, or I'm guessing because there were no, yeah, Garcia got his first. It was on the first pitch of the third inning. Garcia got a sinker that was middle of the plate, right above the belt, between the belt and the letters, and he absolutely turns on this one. 116.7 mile per hour exit velocity on the first pitch 
of the third inning. It was a two-seam sinker at 90 miles per hour right down the pipe. And then later in the inning, uh, with two outs in the inning, uh, Manny Pena would get his home run. He would actually go down and get this one. It was a pitch down at the thighs. It's still, it's still in the strike zone. This is just a good job by the hitter going down and getting this fastball and hits it 106.8 miles per hour out for a home run. So, yeah, so those are the home runs Savali gave up. Brian Shaw's two home runs. He hung a slider to Avisail Garcia, hits it 113.2 miles per hour. I believe this is the one that he crushes way up into the seats in the bleachers. Um, so, yeah, that was with two outs in the eighth inning. And then uh, before that, Colton Wong took a cutter down and in. Frankly, this isn't a terrible pitch, but a good job by Colton Wong of going down and getting a low fastball. It only came in at 90.9. That's a really slow cutter from Brian Shaw. They, now his sliders are usually around the low 80s. His slider was at 84. I'm surprised. It's a really slow cutter from Brian Shaw. And Colton Wong goes down and gets this and drives another one out to right center field uh, for a solo home run. So those are the home runs that the Indians pitchers were giving up. And if we go over to player breakdown page here, it is really ugly for Indians pitching. Uh, when we look at CSW numbers, the curveball was actually working for Aaron Savali. He had a 54% CSW on that curveball. But that two-seam fastball, only a 13%, just could not get it by anybody. Nine swings, zero whiffs on that sinker. In fact, 28 swings, only four whiffs. For uh, Milwaukee hitters, it's a 14% whiff rate. It's just not good enough. It's just not good enough for Aaron Savali. He's a better pitcher than that. We know he is. We know he's a better pitcher than that. Um, for some of the other guys here, um, let's see Brian Shaw. Were all his pitches this slow on the day? He averaged 93 miles per hour on that cutter. So is there a chance that Brian Shaw might be a little burned out here in September, they have pitched him a lot this season. On 16 cutters, he averaged 93 mile per hour exit velocity or 93 mile per hour pitch velocity on uh, on that cutter. Now they say his yearly average is 92.9. I remember him getting this pitch up in the high 90s. I do not remember it being that slow of a pitch. So. All right, I guess that's what StatCast is telling me. StatCast is telling me his yearly average is right there at 93. So, all right, I'll trust the data. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Class A comes in, pitches, gets some work in in the ninth, frankly. Um, hadn't pitched in a while, so they got him some work. So that's what's going on with Indians pitching. I mean, man, Milwaukee hitters were just locked in. They were just rocketing everything. The Indians pitching on this day gave up 15 hard-hit balls, 15 balls of 95-plus mile-per-hour exit velocity, including seven given up by Savali. Francisco Perez gave up three, even though uh, the rookie was able to uh, you know, hold things down for two innings, only gave him one actual hit, but three hard-hit balls. Alex Young gave up a hard one. Nick Wickering gave up two, uh, but only gave up one hit in his inning. And Shaw, obviously the two home runs are probably the two hard-hit balls that he gave up. So, that's what's going on. On the other side, Eric Lauer was locked in for the first five innings. Finally gives up a hit in the sixth. He would end up giving up three singles in a row up the middle 
in that sixth inning to Lavarnway, who finally breaks it up. Lavarnway had a chance to break this thing open earlier, or at least get a hit on the board. Uh, but he flies out deep to the wall to Jackie Bradley Jr. It would actually be, I think, in back-to-back innings where Jackie Bradley Jr. would make this catch up against the center field wall, and then Harold Ramirez for the Indians would make a catch, slamming into the left field wall. Jackie Bradley Jr. was a little more graceful than Harold Ramirez was. Harold Ramirez basically looked like a bowling ball slamming into the wall out there, but he held on to the ball, so that was a good job out of him. Um... So LeVarnway would get the single up the middle. Mercado would hit a line drive single up the middle. And then Miles Straw would hit an RBI single that would shoot up the middle on the ground. So three hits in a row from the Indians hitters. And uh, that would end Eric Lauer's day. After eight strikeouts, uh, he'd sit down, give way to Brad Boxberger, who would get out of that inning with two strikeouts. And then Aaron Ashby would come in and pitch three innings in relief. So he'd get the save because he went so long in the game. Uh, there are other ways to earn saves, and this was one of them. And he would have five strikeouts on the day. So it's combined 15 strikeouts for um, for Brewers pitching. And again, if we go back to the Illustrator and look at the location on these strikeouts, I can tell you most of these were swinging strikeouts until Ashby comes in and gets two sliders on the outside edge that are uh, that are taken for strikes from Miles Straw, and from Owen Miller. All these other ones are swinging strikes. Uh, Eric Lauer got three with the cutter. He got Miles Straw twice to chase the cutter out of the zone, high and out of the zone. He got Yu Cheng to chase a four-seam fastball high out of the zone. He challenged Yu Cheng with a cutter right down the middle that he swings through in the second inning on a 2-2 count to end the second inning. That one, he just blew it by him. Then a couple of curveballs, three curveballs, uh, one outside that he gets Harold Ramirez to chase, and then frankly two in the strike zone. One he gets Fermil Reyes with, and the other one he gets Ahmed Rosario with. Those were in the zone. They were down, but they were in the zone. And then he gets Jose Ramirez. I believe that might have been that check swing in the first inning where Jose didn't think he went, uh, where he gets him with a slider down at his knees. Uh, at Boxberger, now it turns into sliders here. From relief pitching, it's all sliders. He gets Ahmed Rosario to chase a slider away. Gets Jose Ramirez to also chase a slider, uh, the backdoor slider on the left edge of the plate. Uh, and then Aaron Ashby comes and dominates with five strikeouts over his three innings of relief. One is on a sinker, a hard sinker up to Oscar Mercado, a 96-mile-per-hour pitch. The uh, two sliders away to Owen Miller and Miles Straw that they both look at for strike three. And then uh, he gets Ahmed Rosario to chase a slider down on an 0-2 count. And gets Fermil Reyes the final pitch of the game on a 1-2 count. Can't check his swing for strike three to end the game. And that's a slider that was down at the ankles. So that is how Brewers pitching did it. My God, they were racking up the strikeouts against us. And mostly on the slider. And it's not like they had completely dominant CSW numbers when we go to the player breakdown. What was working for Eric Lauer? The cutter was really working for him. 38% CSW on the cutter. Uh, really did a good job with that one. And then the curveball had a 44% CSW. So good job with those pitches there. Hey, throwing the slider to a 30% CSW. So the stuff with break really did a good job of uh, really hurting the Indians pitch, uh, the Indians hitters. Uh, overall, it's a 30% CSW on the day for Lauer. So 
Brewers pitching proving that they might be they might have one of the best starting staffs in all of baseball. And uh really, really perfect matchup for them going up against the Cleveland Indians, who might have one of the weakest lineups in all of baseball. You know, despite what we know these guys are capable of, they sure don't go out and prove it very often. So um, yeah, so they really did a good job of limiting us, even putting balls in play. They did a good job with those 15 strikeouts. So that was all the storylines in this one. I mean, I can't even give the last two days, I can't even give MVP for the day. I mean, what would I even, I guess I'll go with Francisco Perez, who the rookie came in and gave you two strong innings of relief after Aaron Savali just got demolished, gave you a chance to try to get back in the game? Or do I give it to Ryan LaVarnway, who finally broke up the no-hit bid in the sixth inning? At this point, we weren't even rooting for the Indians to get back in the game. We were rooting for the Indians just to get a hit. Just to get a hit and not get hit, no hit two days in a row. That's how bad it's gotten watching Indians baseball right now. We don't care if they win. Just don't embarrass yourself by getting no hit two days in a row. So, it's pretty rough there. All right, so let's talk. Let's move on from this game. Let's put it behind us. Let's put the Brewers series behind us. Nobody needs an off day more than the Cleveland Indians need an off day right now. They've got a Minnesota Twins. They've got three games in two days with the Minnesota Twins coming up. So that'll be a fun podcast covering two games, uh, covering all these doubleheaders. But uh, let's talk a little bit about some Indians prospects. Now, George Valera. Number two prospect in the Indian system. What do we know about him? Where did he come from? What is What does he bring to the table? Let's find it all out. Uh, and let's learn a little bit about this guy. So he was one of these international free agent signees. Uh, he signed in 2017. He was a young guy back then. I, he must have been 16, 17 years old. Yeah, he doesn't turn 17 his birthday's in November, and he signed in July. So he's probably 16 years old when he signed with the Cleveland Indians for $1.3 million. Uh, out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, was born in New York, but at age 13, moved to the Dominican Republic with his family. Uh, wanted to, I, I believe, from, from what I was reading and what I was hearing, you know, they wanted to connect back uh, to their roots, back to, the, back to their home, Dominican Republic. And uh, he trains down there with a lot of really good players like Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, Candelario from Detroit. So he's really got a good support system down there and some good guys he's trains with. Uh, he was saying in interviews that he still talks to Fernando Tatis Jr. on the phone. He's, Tatis is very supportive of him and his career. And, you know, these guys want to see each other succeed. They, they pick each other up, which is really good to see that brotherhood in baseball. Um, so yeah, they've got him on MLB.com. These are his scouting grades. Remember the 20 to 80 grading scale. So they got him as a hit of 55, power 55, run 50, arm 50, field 50, overall a 55. Now, Cleveland obviously is looking for somebody to become a star in their outfield. You know, they thought maybe it was going to be Tyler Naquin. He was a first round pick. They thought, uh, you know, obviously Michael Brantley was a star out there, but they thought he was injury prone, so they moved on from him. They've been searching. They took first-round picks on uh, Bradley Zimmer, so they've really been searching for a star in their outfield. And it would be fitting for it to come from international signings, especially from the Dominican, especially from South America. 
or Central America, because this is what the Indians do. I mean, even Jose Ramirez was an international signee, right? This is how we found Jose Ramirez. So it would make sense if the next big star for the Cleveland Indians came from one of these international signing classes um, and came from the Dominican, frankly. Um, so yeah, so he's someone who's been bothered a little bit by injury. He had a hamate bone injury. I think this season at Lake County, he had one of those oblique injuries. Um, he reached back on a throw and just didn't feel right in his side, but he has hit, uh, everywhere he's gone. And, um, MLB.com, their, their little scouting report here describes it as one of the prettiest swings of all, a loose left-handed stroke with rhythm and balance. Despite his youth and inexperience, he recognizes pitches well, works counts, and makes hard contact to all fields. So yeah, so that is a really nice description of a hitter. And watching highlights, I can agree that this is a very smooth, comfortable swing. Uh, It does not look like... It's so funny, Lonnie Chisenhall and Tyler Naquin had such such distinct left-handed that like snap swing where they like spin on their feet. Um, Almost like a weaker version of what Jim Tomey used to do where he just spin on his heels. This is honestly more reminiscent of uh, Jose Ramirez's swing. Uh, A nice smooth swing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch him hit in some of these highlights and stuff like that. I'm, I'm looking forward to this guy playing in spring training games and stuff like that so we could see a little more of him. Now, how about his stats, Davey? What do his stats look like? Well, I could tell you that he's been doing really well. Uh, he split 2019 between low A and then uh, high A, which was Lake County. Uh, then he played, started 2021 in Lake County, uh, played 63 games for him, and then it recently has been moved up to double A Akron. So in Lake County this season, in 263 plate appearances, he was hitting 256, had a 430 on base percentage, and was slugging 548. So he's got an OPS of 900, I mean 988, approaching 1,000 OPS, which is really spectacular. WRC Plus, to see where he ranked against the rest of the league, WRC Plus, he was at 165. Remember those plus stats, league average is set to 100. So when it comes to creating runs, this guy was up at 165. I would definitely say one of the stars of high A baseball this season. Now, how does he do that? How does he have a 430 on base percentage? Well, he balances the walks and the strikeouts almost at a one-to-one ratio. 55 walks and only 58 strikeouts in those 263 plate appearances. So, a really great job of drawing walks, and this is something he has done his entire career. He is really patient at the plate and has a good eye. Now, add into that 16 home runs, four triples, and two doubles at the at Lake County this season, and that's how you get the 548 slugging percentage. So not only that, but he can hit home runs, 16 home runs. Now, obviously, the numbers have regressed a little bit moving up to Double uh, A Akron. Uh, he's not, it's not quite the one-to-one ratio of walks to strikeouts. It's eight walks to 24 strikeouts, only hitting 250. So the batting average is a tick down. The on-base percentage is down at 329, and the slugging is down at 383. So he's just over 700 on his OPS. His WRC Plus is down at 94 at AA. So obviously moving up a step in system, you're facing better pitching. 
And yeah, you are going to regress a little bit there. But it's probably going to be interesting. My guess is he'll start next season at double A, get a chance to face all those double A pitchers again. And then if he has does good, has a chance to move up to triple A in the 2022 season. So uh, some other things about him that I think you should know. Um, looking at his ground ball, fly ball percentages here. Uh, he was a fly ball hitter uh, at single A in 2019. Uh, he was much more of a ground ball hitter to start uh, 2021. But since moving up to double A, he's been going back to hitting fly ball. So he was at 46.4% ground balls in uh, in high A in Lake County and 38.4% fly balls, 15.2% line drives. Moving up to double A, he's gone much more with line drives and fly balls, and he's down at 31.6% ground ball. So is it a different approach? Is it something about the pitching? Will he go back to hitting more ground balls uh, when he comes back to double A next season? The other thing I could tell you about him is that he pulls the ball a lot right now. He's at 50%, 50 50.3% pull uh, percentage when he was at Lake County. He's still at 42.1% pull percentage at double A. So even uh, even in that 2019 season, even in rookie ball, he was mostly pulling the ball. So that's something that he'll probably want to work on is using the whole field. Uh, But he's definitely a pull hitter right now. Someone that they're definitely going to shift against being a left-handed hitter. So those are some of the numbers I could tell you from fan graphs. of the way George Valera swings. Uh, the other thing I wanted to look at was just his lefty-ready splits, always something important to look at for a left-handed hitter. And uh, he is down a little bit against left-handed pitching this season. Uh, I'm guessing this is split between both levels. Uh, he's had 276 plate appearances against right-handed pitching. He's only had 61 plate appearances against left-handed pitching. So they've probably protected him a little bit against lefties. He's at 265 against those righties, only 235 against those lefties. He slugs 959 against the righties. He only slugs, or sorry, sorry, his OPS is 959 against those righties. Slugging 959 would be impressive. His OPS is 959 against those righties. His OPS is 756 against lefties this season. Most of those home runs, uh, 16 of the 18 home runs, have come against right-handed pitching. So, Someone who early in his career doesn't quite have the same pop against the lefties as he does against the righties. So we will see how that continues throughout the course of his career. So that is George Falera. He is a really good, uh, smooth-swinging, left-handed outfielder. Um, I can tell you that he's also a little bit clutch. With two outs and runners in scoring position this season, he's a 315 hitter. With a 1,012, 1.112 OPS. So over 1,000 OPS when it comes to runners in scoring position and two outs. In uh, 69 plate appearances in that situation, he's got 23 RBIs. Really great job of delivering uh, in clutch situations there. So that's a fun stat uh, in his player splits. Obviously, minor league guys do not have as detailed splits Uh, as the Major League guys do. So that's about the amount of information I can give you. 
I can tell you in the interviews I was able to watch, seems like he's got a great head on his shoulders and is really going to be a good leader, a good player in this system when he finally comes up here. So that is your number two prospect in the Cleveland Indian system, George Valera. And after researching it and digging into it, I'm very excited to see where his career goes. So I hope you feel a little more informed this morning. I hope you now understand a little bit more about some of the prospects in our system. We will continue to do this. There are some fun names here to learn about. Um, we probably should talk about number one prospect, Tyler Freeman. I'm not exactly sure why I've been avoiding Tyler Freeman, but uh, he's someone whose name we've heard so much, and I just don't feel like he's progressed through the system as fast as some of these other guys have. But he's still number one uh, prospect. So we'll see here. By the way, George Valera in the top 100 in all of baseball. I believe he ranks in the 60s. I believe, yeah, he's 65th in all of baseball when it comes to prospects. Tyler Freeman is 61. So yeah, George Valera coming in. Nolan Jones is 70th in all of baseball. So we have some uh, prospects there right in the middle of the pack in the top 100 in all of baseball. So that's good to see. So that's all my thoughts on this one. Uh, I'm really excited that the Brewers are leaving town. That was a brutal series. And uh, let's see what we could do traveling to Minnesota, uh, some more Central Division, American League Central Division baseball. All right. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. It was a bit of a long one digging into George Valera there. Again, the final from yesterday in Progressive Field. It was the Brewers 11 the Indians won. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. We'll be taking the day off with the off day. So I'll be back on Wednesday to talk more baseball. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts coming down the stretch to wrap up this season. That's right. It's time for you to send in your end of season thoughts. So hit me up, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.